Hello, and welcome to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about upcoming events, this podcast, and for other resources, visit candygibbs.com. I'm Candy Gibbs. I work at Hope Choice, and I am so excited about 1330. So if most of you have been here before. Do you know where our building really is? Okay, it's on 26th Street. If you know where the Wesley is, you know where the Wesley is? We're right across the street from the Wesley. And it is under construction. Now, last semester when we started, we were begging them to start construction. So we can at least now say we have started construction. Um, We had a little bat issue it was infested with bats they are out so we can praise Jesus for that and they are making progress we will be in that building by the end of this semester we are going to have a coffee shop in the building it's going to be called 1330 coffee and we will be having our Tuesday nights in that building as soon as we can get in there so I want to say that I think it is divine that we started without a building. Because something that the Lord has been showing me about you is that you are learning how to do the work of ministry before you have the ease of any added fluff. We are looking for leaders. And that's what this entire school year, last fall and this spring is about. And I believe that the Lord is bringing people to 1330 who are going to step in and be leaders as we believe what the Lord's calling us to do is to go into the campus of WT and take the ground. And something that the Lord has been reminding me of also is that, you know, that story of Caleb and the spies and they went into the land. They discovered that there was what in the land? Giants. Giants. There are things that we're going to have to overcome. But because God is with us and because we're coming behind him, we are certainly able to do what he's called us to do. So I want to ask you over the course of the next several weeks, for sure by the end of this semester, I just want you to ask the Lord, how would you have me serve at 1330? Because you have a gift that we need. And I just want you to spend some time in your quiet times when you're sitting with the Lord and just ask Him, will you show me a way that I can plug in and not only receive from what's happening at 1330, but serve? What I want to talk to us tonight about is how much do you love? How much do you love? Matthew 12, 34 says this, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So my question for us tonight is, what is the abundance in my heart? What is overflowing out of my heart? I'm going to read to us out of Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 37. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, 
she brought an alabaster jar of perfume. And as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped them with her hair and she kissed them and she poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And Jesus answered him. And it's interesting, you, you realize that he said, this man thought. He said to himself, and Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. And then he turned toward the woman and he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you did not give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and she wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she's poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. And then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Him who has been forgiven little loves little. And something that's interesting about this story is, first of all, in the Jewish culture, women did not eat with men. So if a man of the home were inviting other men to come and dine at that home, the family, the children and the women, they didn't come in and eat with the men. So these men would have not allowed any woman to come in to their meal, much less a sinful woman. Now this woman was a woman that Jesus had encountered previously and he and she heard that Jesus was at this Pharisee's house. Now a Pharisee, I looked up the actual definition and it is a teacher of the law and they held to a strict observance of the law. So this is the guy. This guy knows the law and he upholds the law and he is strict about it. And it's his house. So he's the man that invited the men to come to dinner. And this sinful woman hears that Jesus is having dinner at a Pharisee's house. And because of the overflow of what was in her heart, because of this incredible love and passion that she had for Jesus, because she loved much, because she knew she had been forgiven much, she was a sinful woman. And that love and that passion out of her heart caused her to go to the home of a Pharisee, to go into the meal that men were having that no woman was supposed to be in, and to sit down at Jesus' feet. And the word says she wept and she wiped his feet with her hair 
and anointed his feet with oil. Do you see that out of the abundance of the Pharisee's heart came negativity and judgment? Because from his perspective, he had been forgiven little because he kept the law and he was a Pharisee. But this sinful woman loved much and much flowed out of her heart. The overflow of her heart, her love and appreciation of what Christ had done for her outweighed her fear of the judgment of men. Because she loved him so much, she could not keep from pouring her love out on him. The next passage I want us to look at is John chapter 4. John chapter 4. And this is the story of the woman at the well. And it's, it's long, so I'm going to tell you part of it, and then I'm going to pick up reading. But Jesus was traveling through um, Samaria. And this was a place where Jewish people did not interact with Samaritans anyway. And Jesus made a point to make it to this well, and then he sends his disciples into the town. So Jesus is alone at the well. And it's in the heat of the day. It's not the early morning. It's not the evening. It's not the time when most women would go to draw water from the well. It was at a time when Jesus created an opportunity to be one-on-one with this woman. And I want you to know that he creates opportunities like that in your life too. He loves nothing more than opportunities to be just with you. And he needs nothing from you. He's not looking for what you can do for him. But he is desperate to have a one-on-one encounter with you. So he sets the stage where he sends everybody away. He's at the well. He knows this woman's coming. And she comes in the heat of the day because she knows no one's going to be there. And she doesn't want to be around the other women because she's the woman that the other women talk about. And so she goes to the well and she sees Jesus and Jesus says, I'm thirsty. Could you get me some water? And she says, why are you even talking to me? I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. And they start having this conversation. And this is where I want to pick up. This is chapter 4, starting in verse 16. After they had had a little bit of an encounter, then Jesus says, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. And Jesus said to her, You're right when you say that you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the only place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus declared, Believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, and we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come 
When true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And then Jesus declared, I am, or I who speak to you am he. When I read this story for years and years, I thought when Jesus was talking to her about the fact that she, uh, you know, had had all these husbands and the man that she now is with is not her husband, I'm thinking this woman is a really bad, bad person, right? She's had a lot of husbands. And now she's living with a man. And she's so shame-filled because of this that she goes to the well alone and she just wants to be left alone. But what I've recently discovered is that in the Jewish culture, only men could divorce a woman. So this woman had been divorced by five husbands. And the man that she was with now didn't even marry her. So can you imagine the level of rejection that this woman felt? Because she had been put out by five husbands, and now she was living with a man that was not her husband. And that is the woman that Jesus sent everybody away so that he could have an encounter with her. And then in verse 27, it says this, Just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, What do you want, or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jug, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? And they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. And meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. And then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say four more months and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now he harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work, and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. What is it that we're waiting for? Because the harvest is now. I think that sometimes as believers, if you know Jesus, this is what we think. Well, if I ever go to Africa... I'm really going to serve God. I mean, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to evangelize to the people in Africa or the people in China or the people in India. And sometimes I think the Lord is like, open up your eyes. The harvest is all around you. You know that guy that you just walked past at the JBK that is sitting all by himself every time you walk through the JBK? The harvest is happening. The other thing that Jesus said is, you say four months more and then the harvest. We think things like this, well, you know, when I get it all straight, 
when I graduate from school, when I have more time, when I get married, when I realize what my purpose is, then I'm going to start serving. And then out of the abundance of my heart, all of a sudden this stuff is going to start flowing and I'm going to, you know, be a part of the harvest. The harvest is now. It isn't four months from now. It isn't when you go on some mission trip. It is when you walk out of here and you go back to that campus and you open your eyes because there are people all around you. that need to see the overflow of what is in your heart. That is what service is about. It is about being so full of love and passion and appreciation for what the Lord has done for me that I can't even contain it. It just comes out. It comes out when I just say, hey, you want to get some coffee? Hey, can I pray for you? I see that, you know, this is a difficult situation that you're in. How can I help? That is the overflow of gratitude and love from a sinner who has been forgiven much, who loves a Savior that I would be. And so would you. And so is everybody on that campus that doesn't know the truth. How much do we love? How much have we been forgiven? And what is the overflow of your heart? Verse 39 says this, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. And they said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. When I was reading over this this afternoon, what struck me was Jesus' disciples, these were the men that were living life with him. Jesus sent them into the town while he stayed at the well. How many people did he bring back? I mean, did those disciples bring back to, to see Jesus? None. These are the guys that have seen miracles happen. They know that Jesus is the Son of God. They go into the town. They come back with nobody. But this sinful woman that knows nothing, she has no knowledge of the law. She has no knowledge of the miracles that Jesus has done. But she went to the well, and in a moment, this stranger knew everything about her and, and convinced her that he was the Christ. And this sinful woman, knowing nothing, goes back to the town and says, you know what? This man knows every horrible, awful thing I have ever done in my life. You must meet him. I think he is the Savior. And then all of the people say, please stay for two days, right? 
But the beautiful thing that one of my favorite verses in all the scripture is where the people say, you know what? At first we believed he was the Christ because you told us that. But now we know. Because he knows me just like he knew you. And I need a savior just like she did. And this woman who was a sinful woman who had been rejected and put out by five husbands becomes the first evangelist. And many believed in her town because she simply allowed her heart to overflow. All I know is that this man knows everything I've ever done. And you must meet him. As our worship team comes back up tonight, I just want you to spend, we're going to do two more songs, and I want you to spend some time just in your own heart. If you want to spread out to do this, you can, but I want you to just ask the Lord some questions. And I also want to say, if you do not know Jesus as your Savior. I grew up in church. My dad was a pastor. I got saved when I was a little girl. And I went to church all the time. I knew every Bible story that there was. And I loved Jesus and I even felt like maybe he had a calling on my life of some kind of ministry. And I got way off track. And I got caught up in what I thought uh, was the cool thing to do. And I wanted to hang around with the right people. And I wanted to be accepted. I really wanted people to like me. And I made a lot of compromises. And I made a lot of sinful choices. And my senior year of high school, I got pregnant. And because my dad was a youth minister and kids like me don't do things like that, we decided that I should abort that baby so that nobody would know that I had been living a sinful life. And that's what we did one week after I found out that I was pregnant. And that daughter would turn 30 this year. And I never got to meet her. I never got to take her to kindergarten. I never got to teach her to tie her shoes or read a book. And I can't go back and undo that. And that will forever be the, the biggest regret of my life. But I want you to know that my Jesus, the same Jesus that wants to be that personal to you, met me in these very dark days where I thought I'm never getting married there's no man that would ever want to marry me how do you tell that to someone like on the first date hey just just in case you want to get out quick these are the things I've done or do you wait until they're just about to go down on the knee and then go wait like one more one more detail and I mean God what are, I'm never getting married I mean, I'm going to be the cat lady, right? But the Lord just kept saying, you know what? Let's just get to know each other. Let me just speak to that shame and regret and guilt and darkness that is in your heart. And let me replace it 
And so we spent time together, and you know, things, different things started to bubble out of the overflow of my heart. And then I started to give my testimony, and I was giving my testimony in a church group, and that's when I met my husband. So before I ever said, hello, my name is Candy, nice to meet you, he already knew all of the ugly. What an amazing gift. And this is the part that will make me cry. I have the most amazing family. I have two sons and a daughter. I have four grandchildren and a daughter-in-law. And they are all so much better than me. But God can forgive anything. He can change any situation. He is so good. And I know what I've been forgiven of, and I love him so much. And it is out of an abundance of, I know what I'm capable of, and I know what you're capable of, that I want to serve him, whatever that looks like. If you know Jesus, I want you to let the abundance of your heart start to bubble up and overflow because people around you need it. And all it takes is, hey, I don't know much, but I know what he did in my life. And it's amazing. And he can do the same thing in your life. And that's what people need. So I want y'all to just stand up and we're going to worship and I'm going to pray over you. But as we worship, I want to remind you that the harvest is now. And we can't wait for conditions to be perfect. Ask the Lord, what is the condition of my heart? What is in the abundance of my heart? Am I giving all of me to Jesus? Could you say like Jesus did, doing the will of my Father is my food. That is what fills me up and gives me energy. Doing what he has called me to do. And do others see Christ in you? So I'm going to ask if our leaders would go to the back of the room. And if you want someone to pray with you, I would love for you to go back there and let these guys pray with you. And God, we just do say thank you. And we celebrate, God, what you've done in our lives. Lord, I know what you've saved me from. And I thank you, God, for your goodness that we don't deserve. May the overflow of our heart, God, be to serve you and to do it with zeal and passion. God, help us to see the harvest that is around us and not delay. We want to be players in what you are doing in the kingdom, God. So as we worship, Holy Spirit, would you just show us how can we serve who among us is the harvest, God? Who needs to hear the testimony of what you've done in our lives, God? 
Help us to be like these two sinful women. And may our hearts overflow, God, with thankfulness and adoration for you. You've been listening to the Candy Gibbs Podcast. For more information and other resources, visit candygibbs.com.